Hi, I'm Reed Huberman, and I'm the lead pastor of Soma Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and this is our podcast. We hope it fills your heart with the love of Christ and fuels your day with hope. Here's today's message. Today, I want to talk to you about the end of the world. And forgive my secular mind, but I also, when I say that, think about this. It's the end of the world as we know it. Now I feel fine. I'm going to give you a reason to feel fine about the end of the world today. Because so often in our society, we have associated the end of the world, the apocalypse, Armageddon, uh, all of that stuff with very negative connotation. Perhaps it's because we, we, we live in a culture where we see doomsday preppers getting ready in their bomb shelters and, you know, trying to educate you on how you should prepare for the end of the world and how bad it's going to be. And maybe even, too, you've seen... Maybe the weird off, you know, brand guy that's on YouTube and he's like, you got to figure out right now which, which in-law you're going to take care of first because you only got so much room in your bomb shelter. You know, I don't, I don't know what you've seen or what you associate the end of the world with, but, but, but maybe it's like the zombie apocalypse movies that you see. You, you, you have never seen an end of the world movie that has been positive, have you? Very few of them anyway. And by the way, most people do believe that there is an expiration date on our, on our planet. Uh, even scientists who are not Christians do believe that there is an expiration point. There is a time in which this planet will no longer exist. Uh, of course, we don't know what that is. Nobody knows the time frame. I don't think anybody has even tried to quantify when that will be in any credible kind of manner. And so that's not the point of, of our, our time here today, but it is to say this, that the Bible talks about the end of the world. And what does it talk about when it talks about the end of the world, what, what does it share with us? What does it show us? And I want to show you why we have reason to hope. Why when Jesus talks about the end of the world, he treats it as a finish line to the race called life. And a finish line is a good thing because think about running a marathon. Some of you already are getting nauseous, right? Uh, think about running a marathon and that marathon does not have a finish line. Do you want to run that race? Probably not. What, what does a finish line do? A finish line keeps you moving forward. A finish line helps you pick up the pace. A finish line helps you understand that there's a purpose to what you're doing. And so when Jesus talks about the finish line to, to his return and to the end of this world, he does so in such a way that will help us pick up momentum, go further, do more, and be excited about what God is doing on the earth. And I want to show you that here in Matthew 24, verse 32 through 33. So hopefully you're already there. If you're not, we can... We can go there. And it says this. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. Now already I got to stop right there. Now learn a lesson from a tree. Now I know what you're thinking to yourself. I'm a very educated individual and I need to listen to the most educated people to be able to feed an individual like me because I'm such a superior Christian. But Jesus is interesting right here in that he says you can just learn a lesson by stepping out your back door and going to look at a tree. So what kind of lessons can you learn from a tree? I gotta, I gotta talk about this because it's, it's pretty powerful and, and you, it'll help you understand what Jesus is saying about the end of the world. Learn this lesson from a tree. What's the first thing you can learn from a tree? Well, the first thing you can learn from a tree is how powerful roots are. You can understand this from a tree that if you get deep, you can get big or you can grow a lot if you're willing to, to dig deep. That, that's what the, the first thing a tree teaches me. I remember being in Bible college, and by the way, I had kind of a different college experience. I was able to, at a very young age, be exposed to multiple different cultures. And so um, I actually, at one point in time, lived with three men from India, 
and then I also, for an extended period of time, lived with two men from Ghana, West Africa, and then Kenya, East Africa. And these guys were, were older than I was, but they fought, fought like cats and dogs. Um, but nonetheless, um, one of those guys, his name was Sam Dave Kigali. Sam Dave. And they have interesting names over there. Um, and so Sam Dave, he, he just pulled me to the side one time as I was walking down the hall, and he said, Reed, I want to tell you this. And I, and I, got, I got to give you the accent, because whenever anybody from Africa, like Nigeria, whatever, if you've ever heard their accent, it's way cooler than American accents, isn't it? It just sounds way more profound. profound. Like if I, I can say ixpicala fragilistic ixpialidocious, and it sounds okay, but when an African says it, it's like ixpicala fragilis ta ixpialidocious. I don't know, it's that they're dramatic in their accent, it's just it's awesome. And he said this to me, he said, Reed, you do not marry tree, you must marry a root. And I said, dude, I don't know what you're talking about and I'm not marrying anything you just said. What, what, what? He said, no, listen, he said, listen. He said, when you marry somebody, you need to marry a root. You need to, you need to marry somebody that's deep because if you, all you do is you marry the rose, or you marry the, the thing that's just beautiful on the outside, or you marry the flower, winter will come. And this is what he said to me. He said, you must marry root because winter will come and flower will die. That's what he told me. And I was just like, dude, I don't know what that means, but it sounds really awesome. I'm going to tell everybody that. But this is what he was telling me, is that, is that eventually that is going to fade, that the outward beauty of all of us from time to time, and as time goes on, certainly will fade. Um, and so you want to marry somebody who's not just beautiful on the outside, but, but is deep on the inside. And that's what he was telling me. So you can learn that lesson from a tree that, that, that you want to go deep in life, that the outward matters kind of, but not really what matters is the things that sometimes aren't even seen, what, what you do behind closed doors, what, how you're pursuing and seeking God, not on a Sunday morning, but on a Monday morning. What does that look like for you? Because that's going to help you go further in life. You can learn this lesson from a tree, that from small things can come really big things. From a small seed, you can, you can plant that in the ground and it can get really, really big. Jesus even says this. The disciples come to him and say, man, we need more faith. We need more faith. Help us to do some of the things that you did, Jesus. And Jesus says this, all you need is just this, little mustard seed. You ever seen a mustard seed before? Tiny. Little mustard seed, that's all you need. And that mustard seed will be planted in the ground and eventually it'll, it'll pop up out of the ground so that, that it will even be a tree big enough for the birds of the air to come and live in. So he can teach you that if you're just faithful with little small things, if, if you nourish yourself and spiritually grow yourself and, and expose yourself to the right things, the water, the sunlight, and all those things, and whatever that means allegorically, if you just do that, then, then the small things in life become the big things in life. And boy, we're believing that for Soma Church, that we're just a seed right now at this point in time, but you wait. We're gonna grow and we're gonna be big enough that Jesus even says this, that if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and go swim in the sea. And, and so what he's saying simply is this, is that it doesn't take great faith to do amazing things. You just got to step out and do it. You just got to believe. And then the last thing that a, that a tree can teach you is this, is that a tree can teach you that seasons come and go. Now, I just want to say this to you because some of you right here in this moment are in a winter season of your life. Come on, you, you know what I'm saying? And some of you need to hear this, is that, it just feels like everything's dead. It feels like you're not growing. Maybe you're praying and it feels like your prayers are not being answered. And it feels like everything is frigid and you feel all alone. 
and all the things that you're trying to do seem to amount to nothing, and you feel like you've been left out in the cold. See, the danger for somebody who doesn't know Jesus may not have the hope to believe that, that it may be cold right now. And yeah, you may be experiencing some difficulties in your life, but, but I know a God who can take you from, from winter and, and put you smack dab in the middle of summer in the, in the blink of an eye, that we serve a God of seasons. I mean, the Bible even says this, that, that there are people who go out to fields with seeds in their hand and they do so weeping. But you keep on going, and day after day after day, eventually you'll come back from that same field where you were weeping, and you had a handful of seeds, and guess what? One day you'll come back, and you'll come back rejoicing because your arms will be full of wheat that you planted. Isn't that awesome? That, yeah, you may be weeping now for a season. Sorrow only lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. So don't treat your future as though it's going to be like your present because we serve a God of seasons. You know, a lesson in frustration is planting a seed in the ground and then just watching it. Come on, you're supposed to grow. You're supposed to grow. You're supposed to grow. Right? Could you imagine planting a seed and then expecting it to grow immediately? That's the problem with some of our fast-paced culture today. I know this doesn't have anything to do with the end of the world per se, but it does have to do with the tree, and a tree has to do with the end of the world. But could you imagine that? It's a lesson in frustration to try to harvest in seed sowing time, and some of us try to do that. We're trying to get what we just yesterday sowed, and, and that, that's not the way God works. Even for a guy like me, who's a, who's a church planter, we, we, we love explosive growth. But listen to that word. It doesn't even sound healthy, like explosive. Eventually, somebody's going to get hurt by explosions. Healthy growth is the growth that, that you dig deep and you, and, you, and you pour water onto and you allow the sun to come and hit. And, and, and it grows over time. That's the, that's the kind of life that God is leading us towards. So if you want immediate gratification, maybe Jesus isn't your choice. But if you want to go further than you ever thought you could in life, and you want to do what you were called to do on this earth, if you want to find out your divine purpose and why you were created here on this earth, then Jesus is your, is your choice. But yeah, there will be winter seasons. But winter doesn't last forever. I mean, come on. Try talking to somebody who, who, who experiences Winter all the time and never Christmas. That's a line from C.S. Lewis. Like, that's just constantly upset about the things that are not going right in their life. It's not fun to talk to that person, right? And I mean, let's just be honest. When you talk to that person, you're like, hey, how you doing? And they're like, well, my dog barked at me this morning. The bill's this, and this is going wrong in my life. And my, I woke up, and my tire wasn't pumped up today, so I had to do that. And then I was late to work, and blah, 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 blah. And by the time you're done talking with that person, you're just like dragging yourself on your belly out of the room that they're in. Now, I'm not saying we don't have compassion about those things, or we don't, we, we, we don't try to care about somebody who's going through a hard time, but what I am saying is this, is that it's so easy for us to treat every season of our life like winter once we've really experienced a hard winter. But that's not the final destiny for you. Come on, and this is where we're gonna get to the point here. It's not your final destiny just to stay in winter all the time. No, my, my son and I sing this song. It's a ridiculous song, and you're probably gonna be like, why do you sing this with him? But, but, uh, but in the, there's a line in the song that says, uh, my back is aching, the sun's too bright, my hips are popping from left to right. 
It's like by the time you're done talking with that kind of person, you're just like, I gotta go take a shower. Like, <laughs> no, but, the, but the point is, is that, that God doesn't want us to treat our future just like our present. He's looking for some people who are believing for better than that. So he says, learn this lesson from the, trig fi- from the fig tree. When his branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. And in the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. So again, learn this lesson from this tree. There is a time, and this is what he's saying, so let me kind of paraphrase here. There's a time where where its branches will be bare, but then the branches will bud and the leaves will begin to sprout, and then you know that summer is coming. And so he's trying to explain what it's going to be like as the return of Jesus draws near and the end of this world draws near. What he's saying is, is that there's going to be a winter season for sure, but that's not the end of the story. When you see that the tree is beginning to bud again and you see that there's life on the tree and you see that there's fruit on the tree, that's when you'll know that it's near. That's how you know the end of the world is near. And so essentially the, the tool you want to take away from this is, is something that we call the allegorical interpretation. It just simply means this, that not everything that you see on the surface is what it seems to be, that the Bible has multiple levels of meaning, very often of which are spiritual. And so this is what I mean. Jesus is not being literal here. He's not saying that you'll know that when fig season comes or when summer comes, that's when the end of the world is going to happen. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is he's kind of being allegorical. He's saying it's going to be like winter before I come, but then there will be like a summer. Something's going to happen in the world, around the world, and it'll be like summer. Things are going to heat up again. Things are going to come back to life again. Things are going to be vibrant again. Things will be hopeful again. You get to actually come out of your house again. Come on, we know what that's like in Cincinnati. You feel like that dude on that commercial where, where he stumbles out of the house um, and, and, and all of his friends are having a backyard barbecue and he's got this long beard and he's got this parka on and everybody's in shorts and sandals and he looks like he, he just woke up and has been in hibernation and, and he's, you know, uh, kind of jarred back to reality and his friends all come around him and said, man, what's wrong? And, and where have you been? And he said, I don't know, it was so cold. And they say, oh man, that was just winter, but it's, but it's, it's spring now, and, and they shout, somebody get this guy a burger quick. Sometimes it's like that for us. So that's what kind of Jesus is saying here is that there will be this winter season, and it's going to be difficult. Make no mistake about it, but, but it's also going to be followed by summer. So let me show you the winter here in context so that you can see it for yourself. So here's the winter. And if you'll go to same chapter at the beginning, you'll see the context of this whole kind of uh, discussion that Jesus is having with his disciples where he finally gives them that kind of picture of what it's going to be like when he returns. So let's just read through it real quick. And and let's read um, starting in verse 1. And it says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away. Now the temple is important. When his disciples came to him and they called his attention to his building. So this is what's happening. Disciples, Jesus are walking down the road, they're chilling out, they're having fun. And and the disciples are like, Jesus, how about this temple? This is looking pretty awesome, isn't it? It's a pretty cool building. And then this is the way Jesus responds to them. You you need to go back and, and look at some of the responses of Jesus to some of the things that go on in the Bible. They're absolutely classic. Um, he says this, 
Do you see all these things? I mean, they just got done saying, look at all these beautiful buildings, Jesus. And Jesus says, you see all these things? You see these buildings? I tell you, not one stone here will be left upon another. Every one of them will be thrown down. So it's in other words, it's like Jesus is saying, you think these buildings are so important, but I'm telling you, they're not gonna be here forever. It's essentially what he's saying. Now he's prophesying, by the way, about what's about to take place in 70 AD where the temple will be destroyed. And at that point in time, the Romans will take over. They will desecrate the temple. And then eventually the Muslims will come into uh, Jerusalem. They will take over um, a part of Jerusalem and then they will eventually put what is now the Dome of the Rock, a mosque on the site where the temple used to be. Okay, so this does happen. Jesus prophesies that this is going to happen. And so from that time, from 70 AD until the present, the Jews have not had a temple of their own that they used to have. Um, and so this literally did happen. So he says, you see this? They're going to be thrown down. It's going to be destroyed. Next verse says this. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So those are the three questions. When's this gonna happen? What's the sign of the end of the age? Um, and, 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 and when are you gonna come back? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. Now he's going to give you here a list of the things that are going to take place between that, uh, the, the present and those three events. When's this gonna happen? When will you come back? And what's the sign for the end of the age? And so now he's giving all three of these things. For many will come in my name. That's the first one, saying, I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is not come. Now stay right there for a minute. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, we are mostly aware, whether we've been in church or not, we're mostly aware of this idea that a bunch of catastrophic wars, a bunch of uh, natural disasters and things will come when the end is near. But I want to show you what Jesus says. He says, yes, those things will happen, wars and rumors of wars, but the end is still to come. All right, next one. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are going to be happening. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And then you will be handed over and persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. By the way, I think Jesus is being broad here. He's saying literally this to the disciples, but I also think he's saying this to the church as a whole, that this is what will happen to Christians throughout the ages. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other because things are getting pretty bad. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. You would think to yourself, many, maybe people like David Koresh or something like that who stands up and says, yeah, I'm Jesus. Um, so you think about somebody like that. And, and, and then it says this. Now, this is the key verse. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That's what I want to show you. Again, Jesus is speaking allegorically. So there's a spiritual level to what he's talking about with this tree. So what he's saying is that the tree, which is you, the tree will experience winter. And all of those things will come when winter comes. And the love of many will grow cold because of how difficult it is. And so the winter represents a time of difficulty. But Jesus has already told us, but the end is not yet. Now listen to this. So here's the next piece that you need to know, because winter is not the end of the story. So look in verse 13. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel 
of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. All right? So I know. It's kind of an interesting subject to talk about the end of the world and stuff in church because we don't hear about it very often, but Jesus talked about it, so I think we should talk about it. And this is what Jesus says. And let me paraphrase yet again. There will be a time of winter. There will be difficulty. There will be wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilence. False prophets will rise up. They will say they're this. They will say they're that. People will try to persecute the church. All sorts of bad things will happen. It's going to happen. But that's not the end. This is the end. He that endures to the end shall be saved. And this is what the end looks like. And this, and I get excited about this, so forgive me for being a little shouty. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, this is why I get excited, guys, because for far too long, we've either looked at the end of life and we've looked at it, well, eventually I'll die, or we look at the end of the world and we think about it in terms of, well, it's going to be pretty awful if I'm around when this world gets, and I want to try to change our understanding this morning to a biblical understanding of what the end of the world actually looks like so that we will find hope in our present to press towards the future that we won't slow our pace, that we will see that the goal is very clear and, and it speaks of really good things that we cannot wait to get to. And so as a church, I want to push towards this goal. So here's the goal. And this gospel will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Now here's what I would say Jesus is trying to say to us here this morning. And to them, in this original context, he was saying this, there will be a time of difficulty, there will be a time of hardship, but can I give you a glimpse of what it's gonna look like in the church? Can I give you a glimpse of what it's supposed to look like for Christians? This is what it's gonna look like. Something will happen that will take us from winter to summer. And during that time where things come back to life, during that time where things get really hot and get really exciting, during that time, this is what's gonna happen. The church will become so alive and so on fire and so excited about sharing Jesus with the rest of the world that the whole world will hear the name of Jesus. That's what it says. That sounds like summer to me, guys. That sounds like it's no longer winter anymore. We're not talking about wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and earthquakes or anything like that. We're talking about the church alive. Summer, this gospel will be preached in the whole world. We're talking about churches rising up like Soma Church in, in, in the middle of, of Evendale slash Blue Ash and, 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 and raising up a team of people to get crazy on fire for God and do something for the Lord. We're, we're talking about churches all over the place, no longer celebrating church as a spectator sport, but people getting excited about sharing even places where people have never heard the name of Jesus. Let me hear you share some statistics with you about this. Because some of you may even say to yourself, well, the world's already heard about Jesus. Everybody's heard about Jesus. No, that's not true. No, we've got a lot of work to do for the whole world to know the name of Jesus. And you may even say to yourself the opposite. You may say, well, that's never going to happen. That's impossible because of how many babies are being born and how many people are dying uh, and the rate at which that is happening. How in the world can we ever get to this place? And I'll just tell you, I don't know. But I do know what Jesus is saying is that this is what the end looks like. And I'll try to do this real quick, but let me tell you where we're at presently in terms of missions, of people hearing the name of Jesus. 
of people receiving hope. And I hope this is important to you. I really do. Um, We live more and more in a society that's calling us to privatized religion. And that was not the intent of the original founding fathers. It was actually to have a place where we could have open discourse and open discussion about the biggest ideas that affect all of us on a regular basis. And I can tell you guys, there is nothing more powerful than talking to another person about Jesus who's actually open and willing to listen to it. I know you've been taught two things you don't talk about at parties, politics and religion. I just, I just wanna, I wanna say, okay, whatever with politics. I don't care whether you talk about that or not. But I wanna tell you this, one of the most powerful things that you'll ever do is share Jesus with another person. And I hope you get in the habit of doing it. And I hope it excites you. I hope you don't just keep your, your religion just to yourself, but, but you share the good news. If it's done something for you, man, don't keep it to yourself. Give it to other people. Because when we start doing that, these numbers will change. Let me give you these numbers presently. There are a total of 16,591 people groups in the world, all right? And a little more than half of them have been reached. And what we mean by a reached people group is we mean people who have actually had a missionary come to their, to their country, okay? An unreached people group is somebody that has never had a missionary ever visit their country ever, okay? So they've never heard the gospel, So um, 16,591 people groups in the world, 7,000 of those are reached people groups. So you can see a little less than half of those um, have heard, have not heard the gospel, have not heard it. So reached population makes up 42% of the world population leaving. This is how many people have never been Close to a Bible, never been close to a missionary, have never heard the name of Jesus. 3.14 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And this does not include the 764 million people who live within reached people groups who have not accepted Jesus Christ and who are not Christians. Here's kind of a staggering statistic. 75.9% of all missionaries go to already reached places. 23.7 go to unevangelized. So it's places where um, missionaries have been, but they've never spoken to anyone about Jesus. But only 0.37% go to unreached people groups. So less than 1% go to a place among the, whatever it is, like 6,000 or so people groups or so. Um, Only 1% of missionaries presently are actually going to these 6,000 or so people groups to tell them about Jesus. There is one missionary for every 60,000 tribal peoples, 71,000 Hindus, 260,000 Buddhists, and 405,000 Muslims. And all these figures estimate about 70,000 people pass every day without hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of where we're at in terms of reaching our world, letting other people know about Jesus, sharing the hope that we have in Christ and the love that God wants each and every person to know. So, I don't know what this means, to be honest with you, in terms of like, I don't think it means that we start figuring out whether we're in winter now. I mean, it sure feels like it, right? You know, you feel like, well, the president I didn't vote for didn't get into office, and things aren't going right in my life, and there's wars, and it feels like winter, and, 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 and when are we gonna know it's summer? And, and, and I don't know about the signs of the times and, and looking to, to try to see what season we're presently in, all I can tell you is this, is that the best is yet to come. All I can tell you is that we're just getting started. All I can tell you 
is that we need an uprising. We need a revolution. We need Christians to take their faith more seriously than they ever have to reach a world that needs to hear about Jesus. Guys, we don't even have to look to unreached people groups. I go to Summit Park on a regular basis and talk to people who have never heard about Jesus. It's time that we ushered in summer. It's time that we as a church here right now, even this morning, say, okay, maybe I've been experiencing a winter season in my life, maybe culturally, and maybe just, you know, uh, in the whole scheme of things, we're in winter. And, and I don't know when summer officially is gonna happen, but I do know this, I wanna be a part of the, I wanna be a part of the solution. I wanna be a part of the one who brings summer here to this earth. I wanna be a part of, the, of, of heating things up. And so here's the question that I have for you this morning. Because this is where it gets relevant and this is where it gets real to each and every one of us. Since I don't know when's winter and when is summer and we can only talk about this on a personal level, where are you? Are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? A thermostat, as we all know, does this. A thermostat changes the temperature. Or a thermometer merely reads the temperature in the room that it's at. So do you absorb, do you assimilate, or do you just mirror your culture and what's going on around you? Or when you step into a room, do you change the atmosphere? Do you change what's going on around you? Do you make a difference? Are you merely a thermometer or are you a thermostat? For far too long, the church has treated the end of the world and the return of Jesus as this kind of relax and wait for him to come back. Relax, relax and be raptured. But I think Jesus urges us through this, this story when he goes through all these things and then finally gets, learn this lesson from the fig tree. Finally gets to that point. He says, learn this lesson. We can't stay in winter if we're going to see the return of Jesus. We need to usher in summer. And yeah, I'll be as bold and as brave as to say this. No, it doesn't mean that you have to go to those unreached people groups per se, but maybe you do. Maybe you're here and you're in, uh, in the service with us this morning, or maybe you're listening to this message after the fact, and you feel God stirring your heart to be a missionary, and you say, I want to make a difference. I want to do something before it's too late. I want to create summer here on this earth. And you get serious about sharing your faith around the world. And that's when I think summer starts to come. Here's how you know if you're a thermostat. What do you do when negative people come in the room? Do, do you become negative too? Oh, that pastor, I didn't like his jacket that morning. I know, what about that jacket, silly jacket? Do you get negative too or do you change the atmosphere? Hey, listen, I know you might be going through some difficulty, but can I pray with you? Hey, can I, can I just, can I quote this scripture verse over you? I don't even know if you're a Christian here today, but I just want to tell you, believing in Jesus has given me so much hope, and I want to share that hope with you. You don't even have to, at the end of the day, believe what I believe, but I want to let you know that he's real. I want to let you know that he loves you. Come on, do you change the temperature? Maybe this is how you know you're a thermostat. Does your heart ache for more this morning? Or are you okay? We, we set at room temperature and we just good to go or do we, is there moments in our life where we just step aside from all of the busyness, from the kids, from the diaper changing, from the teenagers, 
from all of that stuff, do we, do we step aside and say, oh, Lord, my heart longs for more, more of you. I want to hear from you today. That's what happens with a thermostat. And I would say this too. We've got Saturday prayer coming up this coming Saturday. Shameless plug. I really believe that the thermostat for the church is prayer. I believe prayer meetings are the things that, that, that initiate the power and the presence of God in our midst. So if you want to be a part of a thermostat, we want you to come and we want you to be with us this coming Saturday at 9 o'clock. We want you to join us here for prayer because that's where we start the heavy lifting of what happens here on a Sunday morning is at those prayer meetings. One of my favorite guys, Leonard Ravenhill, said this, is that you can't run a semi-truck church on a Volkswagen engine prayer meeting. And that was back in the day when Volkswagens were really like junky, like cars, you know. Only hippies drove them around or something like that. So this is a guy back in the 70s. But you get the point, is that like if you want a powerful service, you want to see God move, prayer is the key to that. It will, it will open up doors in your life that you could never do on your own. So are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? Are, are you ushering us into a time of summer where things get warm again, where we start to get out of the house and we start to brave the elements again? Last thing I want to say about this is just simply this, is that in Israel they have two seasons. They have a rainy slash cold, you could call it a winter season, and then they have summer. And we're right now in the midst of what is their summer, where the rainy season has stopped, and guess what now starts to grow? Figs. That's what Jesus is talking about here, fig tree. And come June is when the full fig harvest will, will happen, and summer really kicks off. So you see, yeah, there are times in your life where you're sowing, 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 believing, 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 and, and you're in winter, and you're not seeing some of the things that you wanna see. But do you believe for better than that? Do you believe this morning that the seed that you sowed in wintertime will eventually mean harvest in summertime? That the faith and the, and the prayers and the belief and, and the heart that you've given towards the things of God, no matter where you are at this season of life, will eventually lead to greater things in the future. Come on, would you stand on your feet with me? In fact, I think this is a time to just begin to celebrate what God is doing in your heart and in your life and to ask him. Maybe you feel cold this morning. Maybe you're tired of just sowing seed. Maybe you're tired of not seeing the things that you want to see and you're ready for summer to come into your life. This is a moment where you can heat things up right here in this moment. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. For more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our channel for past episodes. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating or even sharing it with friends. That would mean so much to us. For more content from Soma Church or to connect with us, go to soma-church.com. We love you and we can't wait to meet you.